0: I'm Austin Lugo.
1: I'm Brandon Hess.
0: And this is the Nom Nom Project. So this week is a very special week of the podcast. It's an entirely food-based podcast. Apparently, we've been pretty hungry when making these projects. Most certainly. And so this week will be an entirely food-based podcast. So if you're into food, if you're a foodie, this is the podcast for you. Brandon, the first question is for you. What is the history of pho? I think
1: this one was a great one to start off on because pho is kind of like, the more I read about it, the more it seemed like pho was like the icon of Vietnamese food. It's kind of like the Vietnamese symbol of culinary culture, if you will. And it's actually pretty basic. And that's kind of a common theme with a lot of Vietnamese cuisine is that there's not like a whole lot of ingredients or stuff that goes into it. Unlike French cuisine where you gotta bake something and then you gotta cook something in a pan that you have to also boil something, you combine it all together, you bake it again. It's like all this shit. No, with Vietnamese food, you just boil something in broth and that's like most of their dishes. That's the same for pho too. It's like a kind of like beef broth soup noodle combo thing. So it uses a special kind of noodle, the pho noodle. and Basically, you just boil up the noodles and you add in a little bit of beef. And specifically, I think this is the one that uses cilantro. There's one of these dishes that uses shitloads of cilantro. I think it might be pho. And you got it. You can really add anything into this meal. Sometimes they'll substitute beef for chicken. Um, And they did a lot of that back during the war and right after that when it was a lot harder to get those kinds of products when everyone didn't have as much going around. Pho is also a street food, like a lot of these foods that we talk about. And the way they make pho out on the street corner, I guess, is they'd have like this big cooking box, like a pho vendor would have like a bamboo box, and one of the compartments he'd have all the stuff to like boil up the broth and stuff, like a little cooking pot and like a fire starter kit thing. And so like every morning, if you were a pho vendor, you'd go out onto the street corner or wherever most popular one is I guess or the most busy street corner is and you'd set up your kit you pull out your box with all the fire making stuff and then you'd pull out your other box that had like the broth and the noodles and you just start boiling them together and sell as much pho as you could so that's pho that's the most iconic dish
0: fascinating here in Reno we have a very large Vietnamese population it's actually one of the largest Vietnamese populations in the United States which also means it's one of the largest Vietnamese populations outside of Vietnam So there are dozens of places that serve traditional Vietnamese pho. I've indulged a few times. Of course, I'm sure it's different than the traditional pho you would get in Vietnam. But one of the things that makes pho different from, say, ramen or other noodle-type dishes of Eastern Asia is a lot of the meat is not cooked beforehand. Or in other words, with ramen, say, a famous Japanese dish, the meat is typically cooked in a broth and then it's served either in the broth together or it'll be served separately. But often, pho is served kind of in separate containers. So you have a container for your broth, a container for your noodles, a container for your meat and your vegetables. often your meat and vegetables will be uncooked. So if you say got pork, it's actually uncooked pork. So you wouldn't want to eat it raw. You actually put it in your broth and it'll cook it like right in front of you. It's a pretty fun experience. But it also means that if you're someone who likes your meat a little more rare, you kind of have to put it in right before. So something you don't want to do when you eat pho is kind of just put all the ingredients together because it's typically a pretty big dish. And so by the time you get to the bottom a lot of it will be significantly more cooked than the stuff that's at the top, so it's kind of a eat as you go sort of thing.
1: That reminds me of the hot pot I had just a couple days ago. You go to a restaurant, and they give you a bunch of boiling broth, and you can order lots of ingredients. And if you throw it all together, you'll kind of ruin the thing. You have to cook the ingredients separately.
0: Buffet's pretty cool. I'm I'm very pro faux. Hell yeah!
1: Here, one second. I gotta let my cat out, or else they're gonna annoy the hell out of me. Brandon's letting his cat out. So after reading about pho, I began to get really curious about other kinds of culinary dishes and specifically I wanted to know about Vietnamese delicacies. Like what are the bougie people over there eating? Like what's the the top of the food hierarchy in Vietnam? Like if you're one of these officials who's getting tons of legal dong to build real estate developments, like what what are you what's on your plate every night?
0: So I'm going to jump around here a little bit and to best answer your question when we talk about delicacies or something that's seen as the food of the rich or the food of the upper class. Because when I originally answered this question, my search was for perhaps what is the most common dish or rather the dish that kind of builds upon other dishes, because something that's very common in Vietnamese food is often... Much of the foods are a combination of other foods, so it's a combination of this type of meat and this type of noodle and this type of vegetable, and it's often just kind of a combination of different things, which makes sense since they've been colonized for a couple thousand years. It makes sense that they're drawing from the French and the Chinese and Cambodian and all these different delicacies, but if we're talking more supreme dish, you know, kind of your fancy, your Caviar, your steak tartare sort of thing. The closest, really, you can find in Vietnam, at least as far as I can tell, is something called chai ca le vong. ca le vong, I had to look this up again to remember all of the different ones that we did this week to remember which one it is. But chai ca le vong is a fish. It's a genus of catfish. So it's very similar to catfish, but it's a little bit different. It's often served on a bed of rice noodles. And what makes this dish so unique to so many other Vietnamese dishes is it's one of the few dishes that can't be found on the streets. So it can only be found in restaurants. And the history of Chai Levong Le Vang is absolutely amazing. So we jump back to early 19th century and we're on the coast of Vietnam. And there's this family called the Doan family. And they make the best fish. Like Everyone's like, man, your fish is just so good. Like, it's just above and beyond. It's the best fish we've ever had. And they're like, "What well, we're going to do this small local community. We're going to put all our money together and we're going to turn your house into a restaurant. And the fisherman's like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And so he opens this restaurant. But he's like, what do I call it? And he's like, well, cha ca basically means fish in Vietnamese. And there's this statue right down the street of this guy named Le Levong Le Vong was this. Fisherman turned politician. He's kind of your uh, psycho and Vanzetti of Vietnam. Local politician, kind of lower class, works his way up and climbs the ranks and all that sort of thing. So they built this restaurant called Chai Cai Levong, which is, of course, where Chai Cai Levong was originally made. And it becomes a popular spot for anti communists, because this is in southern Vietnam, anti colonialists. It is eventually. Becomes a popular spot of the colonialists themselves, the French, the Chinese, communists, anti-communists. They're all there. They're all partying. It's really just the spot to be. And what makes this restaurant so fascinating is it's actually still open. You can go to the original restaurant in southern Vietnam and it's on the list of like top 100 restaurants in the world. And this isn't like something super expensive. Like it's not, you know, one of those places where it's $1,000 a meal. You and I could go there and spend... 30 American dollars and have an incredible meal, we're a restaurant that's literally been there for over 200 years, full of history. And at its core, it really is the epitome of Vietnam, because it's just all of these different cultures coming together. And, you know, Vietnam kind of slapping their own little thing that makes it theirs. I mean, it looks like an incredible dish, it looks like an incredible restaurant. And certainly if we're in the area, I know it's not too far away from Ho Chi Minh City, I think we should check it out.
1: It sounds like it's getting on the list, yeah. And so, what exactly is chaka lavang? Like, you've told me that it's kind of a catfish thing, but how is it prepared? Like, is it in a fish tank on the wall, and, like, you pick it out, and they pull it straight out of the fish tank and fry it in front of you? Like, what makes the fish, like, such a premium meal in Vietnam?
0: Well, one of the important things about this fish is that it is a wild fish, so these fish are not farmed, which means it is a bit of a challenge to find the fish since farming the fish kind of ruins the I guess flavor profile or the texture of it you know you can taste their sadness I guess (laughs) and so they are all wild caught and one of the main ingredients that makes this dish special is saffron saffron is very important to this dish if nothing else you have to have saffron paprika is often used very commonly but like so many other Vietnamese dishes, it's extremely customizable. So a lot of the other ingredients that go into it is really up to you. But what's most important is you use the proper fish and that you use saffron. Everything else is kind of up for debate. Even the bed of rice noodles, which is extremely common, you could use a different kind of noodle. If you kind of want some Chinese inspiration, you may use an egg noodle. Or if you want Cambodian inspiration, you may use a different kind of noodle. But at its core, it's really just about the fish.
1: All right. So the next item that we made some videos about was called banh mi, and it's kind of Vietnamese baguette. The important thing about banh mi, I believe, is the bread. So the bread, instead of using, like, French wheat bread in the typical style of baguette, I think it uses rice bread, or bread made from rice dough. And this makes a much different texture. I don't know if you've had things made with rice flour often, but they tend to be spongier, they're chewier in a way. Have you ever had like mochi or rice
0: dough? Kind of thick.
1: Sort of but it's bread still so there's like those fluffy layers and things. It's just doughier in a way which I think makes a much better sandwich personally. Banh mi I'm just remembering is the the meal that you add loads of cilantro in. Like no matter what banh me I found for some reason they use like it's basically substituted for lettuce. That's how much cilantro's in there. It's, it, it seems crazy to me, because I never thought of cilantro as anything more than like the thing you put on top of your soup after it's done cooking to like make it look pretty. But they use a lot of it over there, and that actually seems to be pretty common in most of their dishes is just lots of cilantro, which, I mean, more power to them. They use a specific kind of meat in there, and I believe it's beef. They also use radishes, which seems to be a very spicy choice, raw radishes and baguette. But I mean, what works, works. Oh yeah, and it's pork. This meal specifically uses pork, whereas a lot of Vietnamese dishes tend to use either beef or chicken. And really, you can use anything in it, because it is just a baguette. I think if you are in Vietnam, it's very common to find street vendors who will sell like a dozen different combinations of ingredients in these things, where the only real commonality between them all is the bread you use and the cilantro that's in the sandwich. Other popular ingredients include cucumbers. There's also ham sandwiches you can get. There's sardines. I'm sure you could put tuna in there. You can even get an ice cream sandwich if you're feeling especially bourgeois that day, I suppose. The banh mi was a Southern Vietnamese, and, obviously, since it's based on the baguette, it came during the French colonial period. It became a lot more popular after the Independence War. That was when all the Christians from northern Vietnam fled to the south, and because the baguette was such a cheap food item to make, it it became kind of like the thing you would eat if you needed fast food in South Vietnam. Then after the country unified, it started to permeate the rest of the country. And now it's pretty popular uh, pretty much everywhere. I think there is a special kind of banh mi known as like the banh mi saigon, which is really just like a special combination of ingredients where it's like cilantro, shredded pork, and... Oh, there's salami in there too. So the banh mi saigon also uses salami.
0: And that's the history of the baguette. So banh mi, is it typically served cold?
1: I haven't actually seen a single restaurant or food item that serves like grilled banh mi, or like toasted banh mi sandwiches. I'm sure they exist. Probably not from street vendors, because that would require a grill, and if you're a street vendor selling sandwiches, you probably are only selling them cold. But I'm sure like if you go to a restaurant and you ask them to get you a hot sandwich, they could like toast the bread for you, or whatever.
0: All right. Sort of jumping off that, if we are going to talk about pork, it is very important that we talk about thit nuong. Thit nuong is really the base for almost all meals in Vietnam. Whether we're talking banh mi, whether we're talking pho, whether we're talking spring rolls, whether we're talking really any dish that is local to Vietnam or not, they love thit nuong. It is pretty much essential vietnam if there is a vietnamese dish there's like an 80 percent chance it's gonna have and wong in it and all and wong is is grilled pork typically they use soy sauce cilantro there's a couple other ingredients that come and go but you can basically find it anywhere in vietnam it's one of the most popular things you can find on the streets of vietnam pretty much every street vendor is going to sell it super cheap to make super cheap to buy it's Really, more than anything else, it's a building block for other dishes. You don't often have Thiet wong by itself at a restaurant. You may get it at a street vendor. It's like their corn dog of sorts. You don't go to a restaurant and get a corn dog, but if you're at a fair, if you're on the street, you may get a stick of meat, if you will. But it typically isn't something you would eat by itself. It's not like something you would order like a steak or a pork chop. It's typically something that's combined with other things. If you were to avoid Thiet Nhuang in Vietnam, I think you'd have to spend a lot of time and a lot of work to avoid it. Because it permeates every part of the food culture of Vietnam, which is a large portion of Vietnam. I mean, I think food in Vietnam is incredibly important and special. After spending this last week studying food, it's something that they take extraordinarily seriously I mean it's at the core of every big event whether we're talking Tet or funerals or death anniversaries or any major holiday food is kind of at the core of it and Thiet Nuang is really something you wouldn't not find at any sort of event it's the core of Vietnam in many ways
1: is it a particular like combination of seasonings or a certain way that you cook it that makes it Thiet Nguang?
0: Not really. I mean, it's, it'd be rare not to have soy sauce and cilantro, but all of the other ingredients are really up to interpretation. Like some of the other Vietnamese dishes, extremely customizable, but it does have a certain sweetness to it, which of course comes from the soy sauce and they use, I think they use a specific type of sugar with it too. So it's it typically, it's a sweeter meat. Of course, pork's already kind of a sweet meat, but it, it's a sweeter version of it. You can tell what region you're in by the type of Thiet Nhuang. So if you have Thiet wong from, say, Hanoi, that's going to be very different than the type of Thiet wong you would have in Ho Chi Minh City. Even though, right, it looks exactly the same. It's just a piece of meat on a stick. But the flavors is very influenced by the local culture. So if you go to a, a small town in southern Vietnam, it's going to be very different than a small town in northern Vietnam.
1: I'm trying to think of what an American equivalent of Thetanawang would be. You said corn dogs, but I'm wondering if there's a food item that's also locally influenced and specific to different areas. Maybe...
0: I would say barbecue is very similar. You know, if you go to Memphis, the barbecue is very different. So I guess ribs would be a good example, because if you go to Memphis, it's very different than if you go to... Nashville, which is very different than if you go to North Carolina or you go to Texas. It's still pork or whatever. But the sauce that they use is different to the region. I think that would be the closest comparison.
1: I'm also thinking steak maybe. there's different ways of preparing your steak uh, depending on what region of the US you're in. that's there's like preferences based. maybe tacos as well. Like, if you're in California, you're getting much different tacos than if you're in New York. I love when a meal changes based on where you are. It's not very common (laughs) to find that very much. Like, everything's very homogenous now, wherever you go. If you order steak, they'll probably give you the same thing, if we're really being honest, no matter where you are. Or, like, your ribs, they'll probably cook them pretty much the same. So, the next one on our list is Kuan which these are the spring rolls and then there's nemran as well which also goes by a different name which is kai chajo i think so goikyuan i believe is the roll well both of them use rice paper instead of like i don't know what you normally use in a spring roll i think it's like just like flour or like rice flour but those are not used in either goikyuan nemran or chajo They all use rice paper, which is slightly different. I think it makes the meal less crispy in a way because rice paper kind of doesn't crisp up when you fry it. They're still fried like a spring roll might be. But goikuan typically contains seafood. So, like, you could find goikuan that's wrapped with fish. Whereas with shajio, you can put a lot more stuff in there, like shredded pork or beef of some kind. Uh, you could also put chicken in there. Really, it's it's a very versatile meal. Much like with other Vietnamese dishes, you can really add whatever you want in there. It's kind of just like the way of preparing the vehicle for the rest of the ingredients that makes it xia or or goi These are very popular street food obviously because they're portable, like you can eat them in your hands, you can just hold the roll. Typically you find them fried. That's probably less common if you were eating them from street vendors. They're more likely to be either pre-fried and baked or just straight up baked, because that's quite a bit easier than carrying around a pot of boiling oil. Yeah, there's not really much else to say. Goikuan and Nemran have been around for a very long time, which makes sense. You just gotta press rice and then the ingredients. in so that is kind of one of those meals that once a culture discovers how to combine multiple ingredients, that's kind of like the first thing that they do is make a roll out of it. And so it's one of the oldest uh, Vietnamese culinary traditions to make gỏi cuốn.
0: So do you happen to know how a Vietnamese spring roll differentiates itself from say a Chinese or a Japanese spring roll?
1: My understanding is that spring roll is kind of just a catch-all term for all fried rolls. So there are different types of ingredients you can put in spring rolls. Typically, the Chinese spring rolls will have, I believe it's chicken or maybe it's pork, whereas there are other kinds of spring rolls that contain only vegetables. I'm not sure if there's a Vietnamese-specific spring roll, but I know that gỏi Kuan and Nimran Ran are... Definitely different because they use a different kind of dough or a thing to wrap the ingredients in. And that's kind of like the big distinguishing factor between them and spring rolls. Though if you're in the United States, you may find goi kuan sold at restaurants. Typically, because rice paper is more expensive, they'll just substitute it in for like flour wrap, which essentially makes it a spring roll. So if you're eating Vietnamese goi kuan in the United States, you're probably just eating a spring roll. You're not actually eating goi kuan.
0: Well, kind of... Jumping off that on a similar note, I had a question about Hu toy, a traditionally southern Vietnamese food. It's very much Vietnamese in the sense that at its core, Hoi Toi is really just a broth. So everything you add to the broth is kind of up to the culture, it's up to the individual location, the chef... Actually, often when you go to a restaurant, you'll have a list of ingredients that you can choose from. So it's even customizable to the point of the individual. So even trying to define hoi toi is very complicated and challenging. Often people confuse hoi toi with pho because they are at their core broths with noodles in it. But one of the main difference is the type of broth that you use. In Hoi they use a beef broth that has sugar in it. And of course, foes aren't nearly as sweet. So when you have Hoi Toi, the main difference you'll notice is that it has a much sweeter taste. It often has a little bit of a kick to it. They like to add quite a bit of spice, I should say. And one of the other big difference between Hutoi and pho fo is foe, all the ingredients are cooked in the broth where hutoi, all the ingredients are either cooked on a grill or they're baked. They're rarely ever cooked in the broth. And even if they are cooked in the broth, they're typically finished on a grill. So hutoi looks absolutely delicious. It's a meal very much about looks and images. So often if you look at a bowl of hutoi, you'll have a bowl of broth on your left. Typically they don't come together, but you can get them together. But what's called drowned but often it is served dry which means you have a bowl of broth on your left and on your right you will have this plethora of different ingredients forming in a bowl so you'll see like a little bit of green a little bit orange a little bit red a little bit blue all these different ingredients kind of coming together it's a really beautiful presentation and presentation in hoi toy is kind of everything you know the way it looks is Paramount to everything else. I think that's one of the big differences between Hotoy and Pho is Pho is kind of throwing all these ingredients together and caring mostly about how it tastes, where Hotoy is much more about the look of it and the experience of seeing the food. I mean, it looks pretty incredible and I think it's one of the best ways to get a sense of different regions of Vietnam, much like Thiet Nguyen, especially if you get your Thiet Nguang in your Hoa toy, because each region will have basically their own selection of Hoa toy, right? They'll have this selection of ingredients. Maybe if you're near the ocean, you may have shrimp or you may have certain types of fish. If you are in near the jungle, you may have more meat-based, you may have different vegetables. And it's really, in many ways, a snapshot of that city because every city has their own version of Ho toy. So of course you can get your own customizable Ho toy, and you can be like, I want this, 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 and that, which is fine but I think if you want to experience a certain part of Vietnam and I think something I'm planning on doing when we're in Vietnam is whenever we visit a new city, ordering Ho toy and getting you know, whatever their classic Ho toy is because it's basically a picture of an entire culture of an entire city right there in one bowl.
1: I especially like the idea of ordering Consistent meals wherever we go, like trying to compare the dishes. I think that's a really good idea. Just go up to the village elder of whatever town we're in and go, I want one of everything, please. And then, you know, have all the villagers come out to the square. Yeah, I'm starting to realize this sounds kind of a little bit racist now that I'm thinking about it, because I'm like, oh. A... So I'm going to stop this riff. But Hoi Toi sounds especially delicious. I always love. A meal that uses sugar. Uh, I have quite a sweet tooth, so. Especially sweet broth, too. That sounds amazing. That seems to be a very common theme in, in Vietnamese cuisine, is making that broth really flavorful. It tends to be in American dishes that the broth is kind of just like a, an afterthought. Like, it's just a thing you cook your meat in, and then either you throw it out if you're wasteful, or you just keep cooking your meat until it goes bad. But in Vietnam, it seems like, you know, you make the broth and you make the thing in the broth. It'd be a shame if you if you threw it out. It's like the broth is almost like a super beverage that you have to drink alongside the rest of your meal.
0: And I think that's very much inspired by Chinese and Japanese cultures in which ramen is a really big deal. And if you talk to anyone in that part of the world about ramen, the core of ramen isn't the noodles. It isn't the meat, it isn't the vegetables. At its core, ramen and in this way, phu and pho and the many Vietnamese variations of it are about the broth. And I think that's partly because in rural communities, you couldn't afford a lot of meats, you couldn't afford a lot of vegetables, but you could always afford a great broth. And so you'd spend days crafting this broth, right? It's at the core of so many different dishes that it serves as almost a a platform for other things like I said and like we've talked about this whole episode Vietnamese food is about combining different ingredients it's about throwing things together and broth I think much like thiet nuong is a core building block it's sort of the foundation for which everything else is built on and if you have a crummy foundation if you have a crummy broth everything else is going to fumble from that. So I think they take their broth very seriously.
1: Almost certainly, yeah. Speaking of broth, the final meal item on our list is another broth-based dish. And that is mi quang. So mi quang is kind of a, a specialty dish, really. It's often a celebratory dish. You serve it at parties, at festivals like Tet, and even at death anniversaries, which I'm not quite sure what those are. I mean, we... Are going to be talking about them next week, hopefully. But regardless, they they are used as like the marker for a celebration. They also seem to have some sort of relationship with romance. I think mie is like if you're trying to have like a, a a traditional like candlelit romantic dinner in Vietnam, the first dish you're going to go to is mie But if you're doing some sort of romantic anniversary, you might go out to a fancy restaurant and both order mie It's that kind of meal. So Mekuang is a kind of noodle dish. It uses rice noodles, I think, and some sort of meat, normally pork, but I often see shrimp in there, or you could even do chicken. And the broth is unique compared to other broths because it is a beef broth that is mixed in with turmeric. I think turmeric is like the main spice you use in there and then the rice noodles also are a little bit special because they're flattened out and they look a little bit strange compared to other rice noodles they're not like long and spindly they're like uh, wide leaves almost obviously you've got a lot of cilantro in there and that's sort of the thing you do with mi you can add a lot of really a lot of stuff in there it's all up to your preference there's usually lime juice in there get a little bit of citrus flavor You could even add some spices like chili.
0: Well, Brandon, we have just spent close to an hour talking about food. Hopefully all of our foodie listeners are absolutely starving. Is there any other foods, anything food-related you want to drop before we end this special foodie episode?
1: We will need to be covering desserts at some point in the future. I think we've only gotten through half of the meals, so... Watch out for that episode too.
0: Alright, y'all. Thank you for listening. For early access and exclusive content, go to patreon.com slash life through fiction. And you can find me at AustinLugo12. And
1: you can find me at anything connected to Nom Nom Project or Life Through Fiction
0: Productions. And you can hear this podcast wherever you hear podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at the Nom, Nom Project. And thank you all for listening.